This episode is brought to you by Lilith's Puppet by Richard Lee Torno. The year is 1810 when five children stumble onto an ancient, terrifying secret. While playing near an old oak tree at the edge of the forest, Henry, Howard, Rachel, Philip, and Thalia come across an age-old artifact that will unleash an unimaginable evil that will follow them into adulthood. Lilith's Puppet by Richard Lee Torno. The first book in the From the Shadows series, available now on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Page-turning horror fiction, perfect for fans of Stephen King and William Peter Blatty. Prepare for a dark journey of the mind. What lies hidden in the trees? Who will become Lilith's puppet? Pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by A Wizard's Forge by A.M. Justice. Wizards are forged, not born. On a planet far from Earth, descendants of maroon space travelers fight a decades-long war. Scholar Victoria knows nothing of the conflict until pirates kidnap and sell her to the sadistic tyrant behind it. After seizing an opportunity to escape, Vic joins the fight against her former captor toward a bloody path of revenge. Bitter memories keep her from returning the love of Prince Ashel, whose family has fended off the tyrant's invading army for a generation. When enemy soldiers capture Ashel, Vic the Blade sets out to rescue him, and along the way obtains a power that will ensure the vengeance she craves, but may also destroy the future she wants. Wizard's Forge by A.M. Justice Book 1 of the Warren Saga Available now on Amazon on Kindle ebook or paperback Wizard's Forge by A.M. Justice This is author Raymond V. Feist Hi, this is R. Scott Baker This is Anthony Ryan The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show Delilah, thank you for joining us today Thank you so much for having me This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group This is David Anthony Durham Hi, this is Melanie Metters Hi, this is Brian Stavely Hello, this is Jesse Bullington Slash Alex Marshall Hi, this is Jeff Salyards Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Stephen Erickson to the show Thank you for inviting me, I'm looking forward Hey, this is Ross Lockhart, and you are listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. It's the Grim Tidings Podcast, Rob Matheny here, and today I'm joined by author, anthologist, publisher, and editor-in-chief of California-based independent publishing company known as Word Horde. A lifelong fan of speculative fiction and small press publishing veteran, he's edited many well-regarded fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels, in addition to editing multiple anthologies, including The Book of Cthulhu 1 and 2, Tales of Jack the Ripper, The Children of Old Each, Eternal Frankenstein, and more. His newest anthology, Tales from a Talking Board, features 14 strange and supernatural short stories of omens, divination, and fortune telling through devices like Ouija boards, tarot cards, and Stranger Things. Available for pre-order now at wordhoard.com. Currently residing in Petaluma with his wife Jennifer and Shih Tzu slash editorial assistant known as Eleanor Phantom, Ross E. Lockhart, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Rob. And we had a little bit of a false start here with Skype and everything recording, uh, but the... Uh, 
podcast gods are with us now, so we are actually going to record this podcast here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. We got a chance to recently connect at the H.B. Lovecraft uh, Film Fest in CthulhuCon in Portland. Uh, it was a, a fun time, but we both got kind of swept up in the activities. We were going to record then, uh, but we're Skyping it up now, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you, sir. I'm a big fan of Word Horde and everything that you guys have going on over with your operation there based out of California. You were at the H.P. Lovecraft Con recently here in Portland. How was the con experience for you? It was a blast. I, I really dig the Lovecraft Film Festival because it's it's a community of like-minded people that I get to reconnect with every time I'm up there. And it feels like we're having the same conversation every time. It just continues from uh, year to year. So always a blast. And folks were really uh, receptive to the books I brought up to, uh, to show off and sell and uh, – all the other uh, stuff I was involved in. And I saw some movies, too. <laughs> yeah, they just had a few movies there at the uh, the film festival. So uh, that was my first opportunity to attend an event like that. And we had a blast. Hung out with the uh, Hippocampus Press folks for a, a book release party for them. Um, so it was cool to connect with that crowd and, uh, and mingle with you. And I got a chance to uh, sit under your tutelage for uh, a scene writing course that you had there. So that was great to meet with you and then some writers there. And I got my writer juices flowing, which is great for, for anybody. So if folks are listening and you've had a chance to attend a con like the HP Lovecraft Con or another writing con in your local area, I definitely recommend it. It's a chance to uh, get those uh, creative juices going. And if you're looking for a start in getting your writing going, I definitely recommend attending a con like that. And it was great to see uh, your books, Ross. They are very pretty. And especially that newest uh, anthology you have that we're going to talk about today, because it is the Halloween season and it's uh, the official holiday of the Grim Tidings podcast. So we're going to talk about Tales from a Talking Board. And that's your newest anthology featuring 14 short stories of strange fiction. Go ahead and tell us just a little bit about the anthology and maybe how it came together. Oh, absolutely. So, Ouija boards fascinate me. Lots of things fascinate me. And when things fascinate me, I I tend to start thinking about how they might fascinate other people and how they might come together into an anthology or another project. So with uh, Tales from a Talking Board, it was the cover that came to me first. It was the idea of not only had I never seen anybody uh, put together an anthology of Ouija-inspired stories, but the opportunity to make a book that could serve as a Ouija board uh, really appealed to me. So I uh, worked with uh, the Canadian game designer, Yves Tournier, uh, who does all sorts of cool stuff, including uh, drawing the Mork Cheeto uh, uh, occult dog detective uh, comics that you can find online. And uh, he was uh, uh, just a ton of fun to work with and uh, came up with this, uh, this book as object that looks like that Ouija board you find out in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night that keeps calling to you and we had a, a, a lot of fun uh coming up with the the specifics to it the uh the, the solar goat on it and the uh, kind of cthulhu-esque mermaid and uh all the other little elements that just make it a, a fun object to hold but that's the physical book what's inside are 14 of my favorite authors three i hadn't worked with before and uh, so they were really fun to uh, invite to the project and uh it came together in a, a really neat way everybody brought something new to the table brought something personal to the table and didn't turn in stories that you know feel like the old cliches of uh you know witch board and things like that instead they're they're new 
horror stories and a couple with a kind of a uh, an urban fantasy or a humorous uh, kind of safety valve to them. But uh, stuff that I think readers will have a lot of fun exploring and will uh, spark all kinds of cool ideas in readers' heads. Yeah, uh, I think everybody uh, has a Ouija board story, even if they've never used one. That's something that we uh, chatted about uh, when we were at the con. What is it about Ouija boards that is just so damn spooky? You know, I think it's the potential of them. You know, you're you're looking at something that is essentially the alphabet in front of you, and you're saying, you know, these letters can be arranged to spell out oh anything. <laughs> and uh, I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. I, 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 I don't really think there are ghosts or spirits that are going to reach out and talk to us. But our imaginations are such a thing that it's a really neat idea. It's something that's very appealing. And the idea of what if death isn't the end? What if there is a way to communicate with whatever is beyond that veil between life and death really has throughout human history, uh, informs so many of the decisions we make. And the Ouija board, the the spirit board, uh, the talking board, they're all devices that kind of skirt that line between play and an actual occult object, you know, an object that the reasons at work are hidden from us. And there, there is an inherent spookiness in that since uh, spirits are involved. But as you said, everybody's got a Ouija story, and so many Ouija stories are cautionary tales to to warn us about messing with the occult. And uh, um, do we like to be warned and then play with things anyway? Do we like to poke the hot stove? We kind of do. Yeah, the uh, storytelling potential is endless, and I, I'm sure you could probably do multiple volumes of an anthology like this just due to the sheer amount of stories that could be told uh, from a blank slate like a, a Ouija board. I, too, am a skeptic as well, but just the idea that there's the potential of something there is is very cool. What other sort of divination tools are going to be found within uh, Tales from a Talking Board, uh, aside from Ouija boards? The Amber Rose Reed story talks uh, a bit with uh, tarot cards, and uh, I, I think readers will find that to be kind of fun. And there are a few other things mixed through here. I, I think folks will be surprised to see some of their favorites in, in interesting interpretations. Interesting for sure. Um, I had a chance to read uh, a few of the stories, including uh, Matthew and Bartlett's uh, story, and he's always guaranteed to deliver uh, on the weird. And I'll tell you, there's some special application of... Um, uh, a human version of a Ouija board, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some spooky, uh, exciting tales in there. Could you tell us just about a few of the other authors that are included in Tales from a Talking Board? Oh, absolutely. I, I kind of bookend the story with a, a couple of authors I've been uh, working with on other projects lately. Uh, Christy DeMeester, uh, who I published her novel Beneath, opens the anthology up with a story called Yes, No, Goodbye. Nadia Bolkin, who I published the collection She Said Destroy by, uh, closes it out with a story called May You Live in Interesting Times. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of the old universal horror movies. Uh, and part of the reason I am is because the studio system at the time showed you a lot of the same faces. 
in background roles and things like that. And so uh, a, a keen eye, you can spot, oh, hey, that guy was in this movie and this movie and this movie. Oh, she was in these movies. And so that idea of a, a stable of talent is something that really appeals to me at Word Horde. So there are a number of people I've worked with uh, before, um, in addition to the authors I mentioned, uh, Jan McDermott, Anya Martin, Nate Carson, Tiffany Scandal, uh, Wendy Wagner, who is always a pleasure to work with, Scott Jones, uh, Amber Rose Reed, and David Templeton, who both uh, had uh, debut stories in Eternal Frankenstein and Orrin Gray, of course. But as, as I mentioned earlier, I, I also got to work with some folks I'd, I'd been looking for an excuse to work with. And uh, Bartlett was uh, was very high on my list of, oh, I got to do something with this guy. I, I, I've enjoyed his, uh, his fiction so much over the last couple of years that it, it was it was a it was a slam dunk. <laughs> so, um, but also, S.P. Miskowski, uh, I've been really looking for an excuse to work with her, and this was a, a fine excuse. And uh, same with uh, David James Keaton. His um, last projector was uh, a ton of fun and uh, just a mind-bending read. And so he was... Uh, a really neat person to bring to the table to, to kind of see what he would do here. So a great uh, collaboration of excellent authors, definitely composing uh, tales from a talking board. Now, um, as an anthologist, do you say that uh, should readers read an anthology from front to back, or is it okay to pick random stories and kind of see what you like? Uh, what's the best way do you think is a, for a reader to consume uh, this anthology or any anthology? Well, I, I look at building an anthology much like building a roller coaster. You want to build up and then let the uh, reader hit free fall and uh, throw in twists and turns and complications and the occasional loop that's really going to disorient them and put them into a, uh, a state of mind that uh, baser things kick in. You want to appeal to, well, since it's horror, fear, but you also want to kind of poke at their pleasure centers. And by envisioning an anthology as a, a, a roller coaster or a dark ride at a carnival, you set up an expectation of each story will somehow be in conversation with the one prior to it. And themes will be set up to, to weave through it. Now, that said... I realize that readers approach anthologies in different ways. And a lot of readers will read their favorite stories or will read the anthology and then kind of pick and choose at uh, uh, interesting titles or uh, will only read authors they enjoy, uh, you know, that they already read. And that's fine. That's a, that's a valid way to consume the media that we create. But uh, you wouldn't go to a movie and skip around. So I would encourage you to go from top to tail, from beginning to end, and experience the entirety of the anthology. Sound advice from a seasoned anthologist. We've discussed anthologies uh, on the show before. We even had uh, Ellen Datlow on the program. Now, Ross, you have a plethora of anthologies under the Word Horde banner, and you clearly have a passion for creating a quality story collection. What is it about crafting a well-composed anthology that really appeals to you versus just editing a novel or writing a novel, but specifically creating an anthology? What is it that you like specifically about that? Well, you mentioned Ellen, and uh, Ellen's one of my heroes. 
when Ellen was fiction editor at Omni, I was a, a kid that was sneaking copies of Omni to, to school in my uh, textbooks to read when I could get away with it. And I had the, uh, the pleasure of, when I was working for uh, Nightshade Books out of San Francisco, uh, working with Ellen on the uh, Year's Best Horror anthologies, as well as a couple of freestanding anthologies. And it was one of those experiences where you get to meet your heroes, and they actually are as cool as you hope they are. So I'm a big Ellen Datlow fan. There is something about being a curator that really appeals to me. And I know, I know a lot of people kind of balk at that word, but much like one would curate an art exhibit or a, uh, a visual showcase or a, a film festival, putting together an anthology is bringing together a variety of voices. Not, not all the same voice, not all the same idea, not all the, the, the same sameness. No, you want stuff that's going to... Uh, stand a chance at blowing people's minds. Uh, if, if, if you were putting together uh, a compilation album, you, know, you want those songs that are going to get people to stand up, move their butts around, and dance, and you also want those songs that are going to make them want to dance a little bit closer, uh, dance a little bit harder, rest, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so, with an anthology like this, I, I want people to move their butts. I want people to, uh, to feel it uh, in the core of their being. And I love being able to showcase the talents of really cool people that inspire me and get them in front of readers that might not otherwise notice them. Kind of like a uh, literary DJ. There you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think that works. Are there any particular favorite anthologies that you have when you maybe when you think of this is the best anthology ever? What's kind of the first thing that comes to your mind? The old Harlan Ellison uh, anthology, Dangerous Visions, was a uh, a huge influence on me. Uh, it's it's a little uneven by today's standards, but is a remarkable collection of what was in its time some of the most mind blowing fiction out there. So that one's a huge influence. Really, any natty old collection of ghost stories <laughs> appeals to me. I, I buy tons of them. Trying to look up that one that I was thinking of. There we go. Phyllis uh, Wagner and Herbert Wise, Great Tales of Terror and the Supernatural. A uh, hugely influential work on me. And it's uh, just such a wonderful collection of classic ghost and horror stories going from antiquity up into the early 20th century and includes such folks as Algernon Blackwood and H.P. Lovecraft, Poe and Wilkie Collins, but also has a few surprises like Dorothy Sayers and Isaac Dennison and Ernest Hemingway. So it's a really cool collection of stuff. That sounds awesome. Is it still available in print? Yeah, it's um, currently available through Modern Library. And so it's fairly easy to find that edition of it. I've got an old ex-library book edition of it that uh, is kind of taped back together and beaten to hell. And some of the pages want to just jump out of the book. But there's something about a book that just feels like a crumbling Lovecraftian tome that uh, (laughs) infuses it with a sort of, well, you know, occult magic. (laughs) Uh, I like Um, occult magic. There you go. Uh, You know, uh, another one that really is a a big influence on me is uh, The Dark Descent. 
Uh, that one was uh, edited by uh, David G. Hartwell, who uh, is also a very huge influence on my taste uh, in strange fiction. Yeah, you mentioned Hartwell and Datlow. Any other favorite anthologists that you have? John Joseph Adams was a big influence on me. I got to work with him a lot at uh, Nightshade, and uh, I learned a lot from working with him. Uh, I've really been enjoying the, uh, the Year's Best Weird Fiction that uh, Undertow is putting out. Uh, which has a, a rotating cast of editors. So it's always a real fun one. Um, one of my early influences was a book called just Science Fiction Stories. It was uh, published by Octopus. And uh, it was uh, edited by a guy named Tom Boardman Jr., I have never found any other work by Tom Boardman Jr., but uh, for a, uh, a kid just discovering science fiction uh, and to open this up and find just classic stories by Asimov and uh, Matt Reynolds, Frederick Brown, and uh, a number of other cool people, uh, John McDonald, this was a really fun book to have discovered and uh, definitely influenced me. It was something that uh, at a time when I didn't have access to a whole lot of books, uh, I kept returning to again and again, kind of trying to figure out how the authors uh, did the tricks they do. You know, much like want to watch a magician over and over. I, I, I do this with fiction and try to figure out, oh, okay, so it's this here that uh, influences my emotions this way, and it's this turn of phrase kind of tickles my brain. Again, Tom Boardman. No idea where you are, dude, but uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, Word Horde. How did you get started, and uh, what madness possessed you to start a small press? Well, I'd, uh, I'd been working for Nightshade, and uh, when they had their major contraction at, uh, uh, in 2012, I left at the end of the year, uh, kind of uh, not sure what was going to happen to that company, and uh, said to myself, well, I can, I can find a job or I can create a job. It seemed more appealing to uh, take what I had learned at Nightshade and what I had uh, differed with at Nightshade and turn that into the aesthetic of Word Horde. And uh, some people don't really get the name Word Horde. They're, they're like, oh, you spelled that wrong. Uh, but... It, it, it's kind of intended in a, a tongue-in-cheek way. I, I, I remember in college falling asleep during a Beowulf seminar and kind of just drifting off and then hearing that, that caning, that phrase where the, the, the fellow opens his word hoard, uh, hoard as in a, uh, a treasure chest of words to, to explain something to someone and hearing that as a gang of words and thinking that... Uh, the idea of having a gang of words, an army of words, uh, had an appeal to it. And so that was the name I went with when I, I started my own company. And that idea of bringing authors together as part of this horde to take on the big guys and to, to scale the walls and to kind of say, eh, we don't need your gatekeepers. We're going we're to make our own gates. We're going to make our own battlements. We're going to make our own long ships. And uh, kind of take over publishing from the bottom up. And again, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's also trying to have fun with it and to be playful and to recognize that we read even the weirdest, scariest, most fucked up fiction 
in part because it's fun and because there is a, a joy in being scared sometimes. So uh, it's having a little of both. We launched with Tales of Jack the Ripper, uh, which was a mostly original anthology, a few reprints, and uh, have done uh, a few more books every year since. So how many years in uh, operation have you been at this point with Word Horde? Started in 2013, so we are completing our fifth year. Excellent. So has the uh, overall has the experience been positive for you? Uh, do you think it was a good choice to, to start the operation? It seems to be going well for you. So. Absolutely. Now, every book isn't uh, a hit, but that's true with any publisher. Um, what I am able to do is get really cool books into people's hands. And the books that have been really well-received and really well-recognized and have won awards or have been nominated for awards, it's an exceptional feeling. It, you kind of, you know, on the one hand, you say, wow, it's great to be recognized. And it's, it's so cool that our peers are honoring these things. But at the same time, you also feel like you've gotten away with something. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a tiny micropress. I'm just a guy running this press out of my home office out in California. I'm not part of the big New York publishing scene. And yet I've published a couple of books that have won Bram Stoker awards, have been nominated for uh, the Shirley Jackson award, things like that, where it boggles my mind that uh, I'm competing with multi-million dollar media conglomerates on some levels for these things. But uh, again, it's part of that sense of play and it's part of that sense of putting out stuff that we can have fun with and can uh, genuinely affect people's lives with. Yeah, you put out top-notch products. I got a chance to um, fondle multiple volumes of uh, Word Horde titles there uh, at the HP Lovecraft Con and everything just looks magnificent from the covers to the uh, text inside. I mean, it's uh, top quality products. And again, folks can go to wordhorde.com to see the entire milieu of Word Horde titles, anthologies, collections, and individual novels. And uh, we've actually had a Word Horde author on the show before. Uh, Nicole Cushing was on the show with our uh, Zero One Publishing panel that we had. Uh, we talked a little bit about Mr. Suicide, which is probably one of those hits you were referring to earlier. That one picked up the Bram Stoker Award. When you were reading Mr. Suicide, when did you, did you have an idea that this thing would be a, a hit, so to speak? Well, you never know. Publishing anything. Uh, books, music, anything. It's the art of grabbing a handful of spaghetti and throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. So you can have a feeling about something, but it's not necessarily going to, to be borne out in the marketplace. That said, me publishing Mr. Suicide started with a Facebook conversation in which uh, Nicole had thrown out this idea of, I've written a novel in the second person. How the hell am I going to sell this? And I'm a fan of that POV. I'm I'm a big fan of second person. I used it uh, in my my book, Chick Bassist, uh, for about a third of the narrative. That book's actually written uh, in first, second, and third person, uh, kind of deliberately. I'm influenced by a, a number of authors that have played with second person, uh, Alejandro Magaya, uh, This War Called Love being a, a particularly uh, excellent example of it. So I was, I was tickled by the possibility of a horror novel by Nicole, whose work I had quite enjoyed, uh, going back to uh, How to Eat Fried Furries, 
<laughs> so it was okay. I, I've got to check this out, and I cracked it open and started reading. And somewhere around three in the morning, I said, "Oh, I've just finished this manuscript." <laughs> I couldn't put it down. I really want to publish this. And so I made her an offer and well, the rest is history. We worked to make it feel like a, a must-have book. And uh, the the cover has a really neat draw to it. The, uh, the general aesthetic we put behind it is uh, strong and uh, kind of captivating so that if somebody sees it on a shelf, it's like, ooh, what is that? And it's a uh, it is a, a bleak, bleak story. But as uh, a few critics have pointed out, it's also kind of life-affirming. And it takes you to dark places. It puts you in the driver's seat as this young man has a, uh, has a mental breakdown and goes some incredibly dark places. But I think it's also something that uh, by reading it, you realize, well, I don't want to go this dark. And uh, I, I, I think it has potential to pull people back from the brink of darkness. Was that your first um, Bram Stoker Award winner? Yeah, it was. And uh, it, it was a Stoker winner in the first novel category, which uh, was just a wonderful thing for uh, Nicole, who now when she goes to cons, she, she tends to bring her uh, Stoker Award with her and set on the, <laughs> the people's attention. And uh, it, it's pretty neat that she's got a haunted house because of this book. <laughs> Yeah, she's great. Not your last Bram Stoker Award winner as well. Uh, the Fisherman is a word award title. Yeah, John Langan's The Fisherman uh, won in this uh, this year's uh, Stoker Awards for uh, Best Novel. And uh, The Fisherman was uh, another one of those that when I read it, the rest of the world went away. And uh, I'd been looking for an excuse to work on something big with John. I'd worked on uh, his House of Windows when I was at Nightshade. He's been in a few of my anthologies. And he's just a good guy in general, plus uh, Scotch aficionado, which is always a, a good thing in my book. And uh, part of what really appealed to me about The Fisherman is that it's such a human story. It's about grief, and it's about loss, and... These are universal emotions, but it takes the grief of these two widower characters and turns it into something cathartic and deep and something that just cuts to the heart of Americana and the horror story that kind of lies at the heart of what we have created here in the country. That was a a really neat book to have the privilege of publishing. So it must be... uh pretty uh, exhilarating as a smaller press publisher to pick up a Bram Stoker Award and have your titles uh, noted for such excellence. It really is. And I would not recommend getting into this business because you want to chase after awards. But being recognized in that capacity is humbling and affirming and really does just you know, make you feel like you're walking a foot in the air. It definitely seems like uh, when readers pick up a word horror title, they're going to get a interesting and immersive reading experience for sure. What would you say is kind of the core philosophy uh, when it comes to publishing books with word horde? Well, everyone is every book is different. There's not one thing that I would put a finger on and say, you know, this is what a word horde book needs to be. But what they all are is 
stories well told that engage the reader on a deep emotional level and bring something unusual to the mix. I love stuff that plays against convention, that plays against everything else that's out there, that doesn't feel like it was focus grouped or uh, put together by a committee. I like authenticity of voice. I like a good sense of place. I like stories about people whose stories are rarely told. I like unusual narrative strategies. I like the literary equivalent of uh, jazz or rock and roll or stuff that just gets you burning on all cylinders. Outside of purchasing titles through wordhoard.com, What's another way that uh, readers can support a small press like WordHoard? Well, if you read something and you enjoy it, tell others. Uh, if you can post a review online, post it. If you can uh, talk it up, talk it up. If uh, your favorite local bookstore doesn't have uh, titles by that publisher, ask them to bring them in. Word of mouth has always been, <laughs> probably always will be, the, the best way of uh, getting other folks interested in the things you love. Well, that's what we're trying to do here, uh, word of mouth podcast style and sing the praises of Word Horde out to our listening audience. So uh, hopefully folks are excited about it. I'm excited about Word Horde, and that's why I had you on the show today, because I wanted to uh, let folks know about uh, the things that you have going on. You've uh, run a quality operation there for years, and you're running, uh, you're releasing some quality titles, uh, some winning awards. But overall, I think you have a, a fantastic product down there, and, and I'm excited for folks to get a chance to check it out. What's next in line for uh, Word Horde? What's the next project you have coming together? Uh, coming up early next year, we've got uh, David Peake's novel Corpse Paint, which is about a, uh, a black metal band uh, that travels to Ukraine to work with kind of a, a, a culty musical co-op. And, uh, oh, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that it involves weaponized music. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm instantly yeah. hooked. So if you're, a, if you're a fan of black metal, <laughs> if you're a fan of uh, really bleak but beautiful fiction, I, I think it's one uh, that uh, is going to turn a few heads. And uh, it's, uh, David had a, uh, a nonfiction collection called uh, The Spectacle of the Void that blew my mind. And I really enjoyed his philosophical musings, and they come across just in spades throughout Corpse Paint. So I'm, I'm eager to show that off, and uh, that'll be early next year. I've got a uh, paperback edition of Eternal Frankenstein coming, and uh, I'll be uh, showing off the cover of that soon, but I, 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 uh, right now I'm kind of concentrating uh, folks' attention on Tales from a Talking Board and the other releases over this past year. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be announcing some real cool stuff soon. And we've got a couple of questions from our uh, Patreon supporters group, The Order of the Bloody Unicorn. Uh, you can find us on patreon.com slash the Grim Tidings podcast. First question, here it is. It's uh, what are the top three pieces of advice you'd recommend to anyone thinking um, about putting together their own anthology? Make sure you've read a lot before you embark on a project like that. A lot of people who want to hang up a slate and say, I'm a publisher, I'm an editor. When you pick up the final product, sometimes you wonder if they've ever even seen a book before. And that can be really frustrating. So definitely learn as much as you can, learn from the best, experience as much as possible before you, you do hang out a slate and say, I'm an editor. <laughs> I would also say, if you're thinking about starting a publishing company, eh, think twice. <laughs> it's a very strange, competitive, and not a very 
profitable uh, business plan. It is uh, something where if you are a small company, you are going to be competing with folks who literally have bottomless pockets. Just be aware of that before you go in. Uh, there's an old joke about how do you make a million dollars in uh, a, a jazz record label? And uh, the punchline is you start with two million. <laughs> Publishing is like that, only the budget's much smaller. Oh, yeah. Excellent. And then uh, second and last question from our Patreon supporters. Um, what would you see as the next big game changer in small press publishing? That's going to change the game. Oh, man. 3D, uh, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ebooks were a big game changer in a lot of ways and allowed people to consume media without being tied to format. Audio is going to continue to uh, to take root. Although, problem with audio is you need uh, you need specialists. You, you can't just talk into a tin can and hope for the best. Uh, you need people that know what they're doing with recording. You need voices that people will feel compelled to listen to. Uh, and you need a lot of uh, you need to move a lot of data back and forth. I do think there will be technological innovations that will continue to make it easier for people to uh, self-publish or uh, publish on a, uh, a small press basis. Uh, we, we've definitely seen that with uh, companies ranging from uh, Lightning Source to uh, Create Space to Lulu uh, that have really put power into folks' hands and uh, made it possible for, well, any idiot to start a publishing company. <laughs> I just happen to be one of those idiots, and uh, <laughs> it's going to continue to go that way. I do think people need to be very aware of the rights they are dealing with with regards to uh, uh, intellectual property and things like that. I do think that uh, we will continue to see a move towards uh, unusual multimedia projects. You see lots of people doing book trailers that are basically just short films just to get people interested. I think you're also going to see people continue to, to try to game the system in uh, weird and unusual ways. The Handbook for Mortals controversy that was uh, recently sweeping through uh, the young adult community mm -hmm. uh, is uh, just a fascinating example of uh, people looking at publishing as it exists and going, well, how do I get in there sideways? Uh, and not really putting their best effort forward, but uh, looking for shortcuts. And I think people will continue to do that. But I also think folks that, that do endeavor to write the best story they can and tell the best uh, tale they can and uh, put their heart and soul into their work will find reward and will find a genuine audience. And is Word Horde currently taking submissions? I'm always looking for good stuff. I have a uh, kind of a, a self-limiting factor in that I do five books a year. And so right now, um, I am looking for one more novel for uh, 2018. I'll definitely know it when I see it. And I'm starting to build the 2019 schedule. Uh, so uh, if you're somebody who uh, thinks you've got the right story to tell and think you're the, uh, the right author to hit me up, hit me up. I'm pretty easy to find. Speaking of easy to find, uh, wordhoard.com is the website to check you out, uh, check out your catalog of titles. And then uh, you do social media as well? Oh, absolutely. You can't avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're actually trying to reach me, email is always easier than the, the various uh, like Facebook messaging kind of thing. Because 
that's unreliable. Yes. But uh, email generally gets to me. Tales from a Talking Board, uh, available for pre-order now at wordhorde.com. You'll find the link in the show notes to check it out. I'm excited about the title. I'm going to read the rest of the stories. Uh, spooky, Halloween, weird, fun, story goodness for the Halloween season. Do you have a Halloween costume picked out for this year? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to, once again, dress as a publisher. May <laughs> <laughs> uh, dress Eleanor as a pumpkin, though, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> That's cute. Let's talk about Eleanor for a moment. Uh, your editorial assistant, Eleanor Phantom, uh, is a Shih Tzu. Yeah. What is it about a Shih Tzu that that lends to the editorial capabilities of just being so naturally gifted? Well, they they are uh, they are imperial beasts. Mm. Um, they were raised by monks and uh, held by emperors back in the day, and they've never forgotten that. Uh, um, Ellie gives me a. Uh, she gives me a nice sort of distraction in life. It's good to have a dog come in so that even when you're just frustrated by everything, it's uh, just the unconditional love that dogs offer. And honestly, as a species, we've had about 60,000 years of sharing our lives with these critters, and uh, we get along pretty good together. I, I, I tend to believe that Humans learned their best attributes from dogs, loyalty, kindness, that sort of thing. Well, dogs picked up their worst from us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rossi Lockhart, uh, thank you again for joining us on the podcast today. Listeners, be sure to go to wordhorde.com, pick up uh, 10 copies of Tales from a Talking Board, read it for your Halloween reading enjoyment. Uh, Ross, thanks again for joining us on the Grim Tidings podcast. Happy, happy Halloween to you and uh, best of luck to you and all of your publishing endeavors with Word Horde. Thank you so much for having me and a happy Halloween to everybody out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings podcast. Available now on Patreon. For just $3 a month, you can get behind-the-scenes info, submit listener questions, find out who's coming on the show, and more. Just log on to patreon.com slash Podcast. You can drop by our website at thegrimtidingspodcast.com or drop by our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks again for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast. Happy Halloween. We'll see you next time. Armcast, Dead Sexy Podcasts. I'm your host, Armand Rosamilia. Fridays exclusively on Project Entertainment Network, where I interview authors, publishers, editors, artists, filmmakers, narrators, the lady from Walmart, whoever I feel like talking to. That's every Friday, Armcast, right here on Project Entertainment Network.